1: helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. I am beyond charged up about today's show. For me, my guest today is the top people executive on the planet, leading groundbreaking work on human capital. His career started in the U.S. Coast Guard, performing sea rescues after being a mathematics major at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. Earning his master's in human development from George Washington University, and MBA from the Kellogg School of Management, he came up through the ranks in the people function. He's led in small and large organizations, including Motorola and Unilever, where he was chief human resources officer and overhauled Unilever's operating framework and leadership system. He was unexpectedly recruited to be an operating partner in private equity at Blackstone Group, serving their nearly 100 portfolio companies and wait, it gets even better. A few years back, he not only founded his own human capital firm, but also applied his talent framework to his passion of baseball, which we'll hear much more about. I describe my friend with these words, honor, wholehearted, and game on. And could not be more honored that Sandy Ogg is joining me today. Sandy, welcome to Say It Skillfully.
2: Well, thank you, Molly. It's. Uh... It's a pleasure and a privilege to have an opportunity to spend some time with you. And as you know, I am an avid consumer of Say It Skillfully. I listen to everyone. And of course, that comes out of not only the importance of what you're doing, but also the deep respect I have for you. And thank you for the very kind uh, introduction.
1: Well, I thank you, Sandy. Really, I'm so excited about today. You and I have talked, um, and most recently, you know, that if anyone had said to you that your career would have taken the path it has, you'd have been, yeah, right. (laughs) And with all the outward accomplishments, awards, writing books, serving on boards, you know, you've always struck me with, one, your humility, and two, genuine, genuine focus on people. I know there've been many twists, turns, ups, and downs in your life's journey. And, and I love it if you'd please share it with our listeners.
2: Yeah, well, um, Molly, you know, I was thinking about uh, about this after our conversation the other day. And, you know, it's funny how, how life is. One of, one of the things that we don't get to do is we don't get to pick our parents. And I, you know, I was so and have been so blessed that I had great parents um you know my dad was uh, was a physicist he worked for the navy and uh my mom was a nurse for 50 years working in the same hospital and you know my mom in many ways was an inspiration because she went back and got her her bachelor's degree when she was 65 And she earned her master's degree, I think, when she was seventy-two, and so you know she was a real role model for lifelong learning. And um, and the other thing is, you know, we, we were talking, you were talking about baseball, and baseball played such a big part in my life because I grew up in a family that was that was not particularly sporty, but my grandmother was at avid baseball fan and I used to sit and watch games with her. And then when the opportunity came for me to try out for the little league team, I just got on my bike, went up there and tried out for the team. And to my great surprise, I made it (laughs) because, you know, we, we weren't the kind of family um, where we, you know, we were throwing the ball in the yard and stuff like that. In fact, I can't ever remember Seeing my dad sweat. He always had it on a white shirt. And the only difference was in the summer that the white shirt had a short sleeve. But otherwise, he had his tie on, the tie was up. He would even fall asleep on the couch with his tie up. <laughs> so, um, but um, baseball um, and sports have played such an important part of who I am. Because I played all the way through um, through college, playing baseball and football um, at the Coast Guard Academy, and uh, you know it, 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 it. These were really formative uh, kinds of kinds of experiences, and I can still smell uh, that. Remember the smell of cut grass in the spring because that meant baseball was coming, and I loved it. I just loved it.
1: Amazing. You know, I didn't share with you. My dad's a double E slash physicist. Okay. So we have that. And then my mom is also a nurse, the noblest of professions. And she got her bachelor's after we all got out of school and has, just like yours, been just a, such a role model of lifelong learning. And what a blessing. Here's to our amazing parents.
2: <laughs> well said. Well said. I didn't know that about you, Molly, that uh, that our, your 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 dad was a double-E stroke phys- physicist um, and your mom was a nurse. That's so cool.
1: Well, I think we both have this kind of numeric side and then a feeling side. I mean, I do feel like I'm a, you know, I, do, I know they're my parents, you know, because I feel like I have the merger of the two of them. Um, see, how did the Coast Guard, how did you decide to go to the post Coast Guard Academy, which I which you can't just go to. I know it's quite a process to to be accepted. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know,
2: it's a funny thing, Molly. When I was sixteen years old, and here is you know sports coming into play again. When I was sixteen years old, um, there was a a, a re we, there was a redistricting of the schools, and I was going to be um, sent from one high school to another and the high school that I was being sent to. Um, first of all, I had to ride on a bus for an hour to get to the school. And secondly, they had no football team. And for me, that was a tragedy. <laughs> that was an actual tra- tragedy. So, um, but my mom was very active in the, you know, in the community in a lot of ways, and um, you know, she was determined that you know I was going to be you know on that bus and going to the other other school. So, I I uh, took a bus one day and went to a neighboring town where there was a military high school. And I walked into the uh, to the guidance counselor's office and said, um, "You know I would like to come here because I'd like to be on the football team I'm a good student um, and I'm a pretty good player and uh, I don't have any money so you have to give me a scholarship to come."
1: <laughs> you <did> not <laughs> you did not walk in to the
2: I I, 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 I absolutely did. And he goes, you know, I've been in this job for 30 years. No one has ever walked in and said this to me. (laughs) So he said, do your parents know you're here? I said, they do not. They do not. But I needed to find out if it was possible before before I have the discussion with them. So he says, well, go home, talk to your parents, and if they'll let you come, we'll find a place for you.
1: Oh, God bless.
2: (laughs) So, Molly, I get home and I get to, uh, you know, to dinner that evening. And I said (laughs) to, you know, to my parents, well, here's what I've done. My mom was, I thought she was going to jump across the table and kill me. Um, And my dad says, well, hold on a second. I mean, he took the, you know, he, he took the time and effort and energy. This must really mean something to him. Maybe we, you know, we ought to think about it. And to make a long story short, I ended up going to that to that military school for the last, my last two years of high school, and played on the football team. And while I was there, um, you know, I ended up being recruited. I, uh, you know, I, I ended up with an appointment to West Point and an appointment to the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. And I would have had no interest at all in the military had I not sort of stumbled into this. Into this military school, um, and here's a funny one: I, ha- I also had a football scholarship to the University of Virginia, which was where my dad went. And so my dad couldn't understand <laughs> why I wanted to go to the military school, and and even my, my neighbors. I can remember a neighbor um, saying to me when I got when I you know said that I was going to go to the to the Coast Guard Academy. He goes, how does a kid from that family end up in the military? Because nothing appears to be organized at your house. You know, (laughs) you guys just seem to come and go as you please and do what you need to do and so on. There's no structure. There's no discipline. There's no whatever. I said, well, you know, and, and, you know, we, we, to me, uh, the whole military thing was, um, it was absolutely liberating. I didn't find the structure or any of it to be constraining. I I thought it was, you know, they made simple decisions on your behalf. Like, what are you going to wear every day? And otherwise, you know, you were kind of free to do what, what you needed to do. I I really actually really liked it.
1: So this is fascinating because that's a, your dad's UVA and people are, you know, kind of to, to be to have a true North when you're so young, I guess is what I'm getting to. So did, was that just like, a natural? I mean, I guess it is because you went into the guidance counselor's office off the bus. <laughs> uh, but that, you know what I mean? I have to say, for uh, young people, Sandy, that's pretty. That's having a lot of sense of you. You know whether you knew you had it or not.
2: Yeah, I. um it, you know, I didn't really. I, I didn't really think about it. But I also was not nervous. Like I wasn't thinking, "Oh my God!" You know, I knew my mother would be opposed to it. I didn't know where my dad would come out on it, Um, but I wasn't nervous about that they would go, how dare you? It wasn't, we just didn't have that kind of a family where, where someone would tell you that you can't, you absolutely can't do something. And so I felt, you know, like this was normal that you, you would go, all right, explore the opportunity. And if it turned out, and I knew, by the way, Molly, that there was no way I was going there because it was pretty expensive to go because um, you had to have, have all these uniforms and all this stuff. It was pretty expensive to go there. And I knew that we didn't have the money to support that kind of thing. And that was the thing I said to the guy, well, if you, if you give me a scholarship, I can come and I promise you I'll be a good student and I think I can make a contribution to the, to the sports team. And th- there it was.
1: Well, if that's not an example for listeners that um, guardian angels are out there. <laughs> yeah.
2: So true. So true.
1: So, the, and, so okay, uh, fast uh, yeah. forward. You got the, go ahead.
2: No, I, I was just saying, the, and then the Coast Guard Academy, the, you know, the, the, the thing, the, the, the football coach there, was a famous um, NFL player named Otto Graham, and there's a whole set of circumstances that Otto Graham, you know, famous, you know, uh, Hall of Fame Cleveland Browns quarterback, and you know all that kind of stuff. He it was a whole set of circumstances that he ended up after coaching the Redskins, um, uh, which is you know they're they're in the process of changing their name now, but. Uh, the Washington Redskins, um, he ended up being the, co- the head coach at the Coast Guard Academy. And so the opportunity to play for someone like that was a big, important lure to me. And to be perfectly honest with you, <laughs> Folly, I didn't, I, I'd never really been on a boat. I didn't have any interest in boats. But there I was at the Coast Guard Academy uh, for, because I, it, it was a great opportunity um, and I could play sports, and I figured I would learn something about the Coast Guard while I was there, and I did.
1: Never been on boats. This is it. Just gets get this gets better and better. Do you have any um, comment? You know, because I I have no familiarity with the military schools, and I'm just wondering. You know, in hindsight, any particular huge gems that. You got out of those uh, the, the, of the institution um, that might be set different from a, a different kind of higher education place.
2: Well, I think the thing that was unique about uh, about any of the military academies, but you know the, was certainly true of the Coast Guard Academy is that you have you, know, you have three aspects, three spheres of your life um, uh, where a typical college student would probably have, have won. And, and, you know, we had the academic um, requirements, which you, it, this was a STEM-based uh, program. So everybody, the first couple of years, you, you, know, you took um, calculus, you took physics, you took chemistry, um, and you took basic engineering classes, and then you picked your, your major, Um, So the academic load, I think we took 22 hours um, each semester for the first two years. So the academic load was fairly heavy. Um, But I was fortunate in that, you know, and and I ended up majoring in math. So that was kind of okay uh, for me. Then you had the sports uh, aspect. So, you know, I was playing varsity sports in the fall and in the spring on the football team and on the baseball team you know, and I was fortunate enough that, that I made and, and played as a freshman, both in football and in baseball. So I had the athletic, um, uh, sort of sphere. And then finally you had the military because there was a whole military structure at the school where the cadets were responsible to lead one another. So we had, you know, you had a uniform that you had to wear, you had formations that you had to go to. We marched, uh, you know, and we did, you know, all kinds of, uh, of military things. And so, you know, you had all of those aspects and the thing that I think it really left on me is that you needed to manage your time incredibly carefully um, because you, you wanted, I wanted to get it all in. And, you know, I wanted to do well academically. I wanted to do well athletically and I wanted to do well militarily. Um, And, you know, it, it, it and, and I really enjoyed all at all those three aspects of it, and it was different, and it really taught me about time management. And the other thing was that we really, as a result of that, we really came together, and you know, the people that uh, that I went to the academy with, my classmates, we were incredibly close. Um, and these, you know, I'm still now, you know, so nearly 45 years later, I'm still very close with, um, with my classmates. And we are, you know, there's probably 100, maybe 160 of us left. Um, you know, we, we started out um, the, our, our freshman summer. We started out with 454. We graduated 240. And there's 160 of us that are still are still around today.
1: Wow, that is so fabulous to have had that foundation um, to start in life, Sandy.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I I I'd, I'd like to say Molly that as you started that it was all planned <laughs> that I had this great master plan. <laughs> it's just not true. <laughs> just not true.
1: <laughs> I, I love just being real for folks because I really think that we've gotten to a point in life where we look at all these kind of shining bright stars of everybody and all these perfect people have these perfect lives. And I'm like, hello, not the case, just not the case. So um, out of, um, the Coast Guard Academy, what are the, so I know you're doing sea rescue, So I do want to, I did watch that Coast Guard movie, by the way, that was like, I didn't, knew nothing about it, but I was like, wow, <laughs> Sandy was doing stuff like this. So how, you know, what was the job transition like um, leaving school?
2: Yeah. So I, um, you know, I, I, I decided um, and, and selected uh, to go to a, 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 a kind of a multi-purpose ship, Um, that we did a lot of rescue work. We did a lot of, you know, kind of aids to navigation um, kind of work. We did some fisheries patrols. We did some drug patrols, all things associated with guarding the coast. Um, And, uh, you know, I was based in Ketchikan, Alaska, and I wanted to go to Alaska because it was a place I had never been before, and I wanted to go on that particular kind of ship because of the sort of learning that I could get from it. And that was a fabulous experience. I was there for about two and a half years. And then I was transferred to, you know, I applied for and was given the command of a rescue ship, um, a small one. Uh, with, uh, the, it was actually called a patrol boat. It was about 100 feet long, and uh, I had a crew of, uh, of 14 Um, And I was the captain uh, when I was 24 years old, and I was based out of Gloucester, Massachusetts. And, you know, I don't know if any of the listeners would have seen the film or read the book, The Perfect Storm. But The Perfect Storm was, was, you know, that film was set in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And it was about a fishing vessel um, called the Andrea Gale. And the Andrea Gale was a, was a fishing boat that I towed in twice, but that was 10 years before the, before the perfect storm itself. And so we were in both in Ketchikan and in Gloucester, you know, the Coast Guard is an integral part of the community. And I had no idea, Molly, you know, when I <laughs> you think about this crazy kid walking into the guidance counselor's office and ending up at the United States Coast Guard Academy. And then when I actually got on the ships and started doing the work, I realized, oh my gosh! I mean, this is such a cool job. <laughs> um, it was such a cool job. You know, you're you're boarding Japanese fishing vessels in the middle of the Bering Sea, um, and uh, you know, and then the next minute you're doing rescue uh, work 200 miles off the coast of of uh, New England. Uh, you know, in in and and the you know the biggest Waves I ever saw were probably sixty-five feet high in the Bering Sea, and uh, you know I've done rescues in you know thirty-five-foot seas from on our patrol boat. So it, this was a,
1: this was lively. <laughs> So, so, okay. So nothing in business is dramatic, (laughs) like 65 foot (laughs) waves. Like, Oh, so the numbers are down a little and we're going to miss our numbers. You're telling me this is a big problem.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And and compare that with being chased. All right. By your file cabinet. So we had, we had a file cabinet in the office on the, on, on the, on the ship and it, and the waves were so heavy and, the, you know, the shaking of the boat was so heavy that the file cabinet broke off the, you know, bro- broke off its mounts. <laughs> and, and we had to send one of the, a couple of the, the young guys down there to time the movement of the ship and lash the, the file cabinet down because it was literally chasing us across the office every time the boat would go from one side to the other. You know, now the, the, missing the numbers a little bit was, you know, there was no drama there. When, when, and And with all seriousness, you know there, there's nothing more gratifying uh, Molly than saving a life nothing nothing more gratifying uh than that maybe maybe having kids um, um, would would be way way up there um and nothing more um difficult than bringing someone else's family member home in a bag that was hard
1: yeah. <sighs> Gosh, that is amazing to experience and learn and come out of as a young person. I mean, that's jeez. <laughs> um, so, Sandy, how did you make uh, the shift out of um, this venture, Adventure, fabulous job.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, Molly, I uh, the, after I had been on the on the two ships. You know, for, you know, but just about, I guess, six years, five and a half, uh, almost six years, um, the Coast Guard sent me to, um, because the the way that the structure kind of worked, you went ship, ship assignment, ship assignment, shore assignment, my shore assignment, of all things, Molly, they sent me to help in, um, in setting up the Coast Guard Leadership School. So I became an instructor. At the Coast Guard Leadership School in Yorktown, Virginia, and one of the um, one of the uh, groups that helped us with the the formation of the of the Coast Guard Leadership School was the Center for Leadership Studies, where Paul Hersey and Ken Blanchard were. You know, had situational leadership was something that we taught there. And that's also where I met Marshall Goldsmith by the way he was he was there
1: Oh I'm so grateful we're so grateful for Marshall they would never know you otherwise here's here to him so uh, so this is amazing you're with all these pioneering you know luminaries um, in the field yeah. and
2: and wow. and they hired me to to come after you know I decided to resign my Commission in the Coast Guard, which you know I can remember, um, like my father-in-law um, telling me, "You're leaving the military to go work for some leadership thing." I mean, you know, you, you've got a pension coming in twenty years, you know, and the your off your career's off to a great start. I mean, what are you what are you thinking about? Um, but you know, at that point, Molly, you know, my dad died when I was um, on the rescue ship up in Gloucester. Massachusetts, and um, so you know, I, I had to kind of take my own counsel on what I was going to do. Of course, I talk, talked it over with my mom and other family members, and and then, of course with my wife at the time. Um, and you know, decided that um, you know it was time to move my career in a different direction. I went to work at the Center for Leadership Studies out in in San Diego, and that really um, you know I discovered. Well, that leadership and uh, and and so forth was really where my passion was, and I, I discovered it there. And again, I mean, no, it was not a there was no master plan. I think I, I was just fortunate that uh, you know I, that, that they were interested in me.
1: Yeah, well, they were smart. <laughs> let you may say you're fortunate, but you are deserving and smart, and I'm sure that they were like, wow, uh, having practice the, the leadership that you did, perhaps unknowingly, who knows, but that's amazing. So, so you were kind of outside in helping people leading. When did you go inside and, and cause I think that's what's, you know, now it makes a lot of sense to me because you're so, you're so able, you've been able to move big institutions, Sandy, and that's not easy. Right. And so I just, I appreciate this outside in kind of the expertise of leadership, but then going within and affecting change. Cause I think a lot of folks look out there and, you know, I don't know that they're thrilled about the leadership uh, that they're experiencing. Um, and I think there's a lot of upside.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, it's funny, Molly, because ha- after having been in leadership positions in the coast guard and then being a consultant for a while, you know, I was kind of longing for, gee, I, this, st- this stuff that we talk to people about and that we're, you know we're we're giving them advice and teaching classes and doing stuff like that. Does it really do any you know, is it really doing anything? or is it just bouncing off of these of these companies? And so um, you know I was given an opportunity to go and work for for one of my clients, which was Motorola, which kind of launched the you know the the sort of third big piece of my career, you know the first one was Coast Guard. Then I was in consulting for a while, and now, you know, I took up a corporate assignment. And, you know, I had two, I was fortunate to work for two, I mean, fantastic companies, Motorola and Unilever. I mean, these are, these are great companies with great values. And, you know, these kinds of institutions, like the Coast Guard, I mean, they shape you. They shape you. And, you know, I, I, um, you know, when I, when I went into, into Motorola, I, um, you know, I, I didn't really understand and, and I was hired into a role in human resources. Um, and I said, well, gee, how can you hire me into human resources? I've never, I don't really know anything about the mechanics of, of the function, how it works and, and so and you know, and the the person who you know who hired me um, said, "Listen, we're not worried about what you don't know. we We're interested in what you do know." And so I took on uh, you know a leadership uh, a, a actually pretty substantial leadership responsibility. And um, you know, I also discovered there that I had a knack for um, for I, I, and, you know, I don't know imagination or creativity. And so I looked at the human resource challenge as a, as a really a supply chain, you know, that, you, that you've got demand and supply, and the roles were the demand and the talent was the supply, and we need to connect supply with demand in a reliable way so that the company can do what it needs to do. And so, uh, you know, I did a big, big project, and we created something, a new thing called the Office of Leadership. Um, to to execute the leadership supply process across the the top two hundred roles and the top one thousand talent, and how do you connect them reliably? And believe it or not, Molly, we you know we did the project, and I didn't hire an, an, a human resources firm. I hired um, a, a, you know a major consulting strategy consulting firm to. Um, you know, to do the project, to map the leadership supply process. And then we designed this organization called the Office of Leadership, and I was selected to run it, and I'm reporting directly to the CEO of, of Motorola, and the whole idea was to, to do that. And believe it or not, you know, we, we put 1,000 resumes online uh, before there was a LinkedIn And we connected them with the requirements of the jobs using a search engine before Google. Um, And I was lucky. I was working in an engineering firm, and we had people who could do this kind of stuff. And I can remember the CEO looking at me and saying, you've got a 19-page form that you want people to fill in on their resume. Um, And I said, and he said, how in the world are you going to convince these 1,000 people – to fill out these 19-page forms and send them in. I said, I'm going to make it easy. I'm just going to send out an email to, to all of them and say, if you would like to be considered for one of the top 200 positions, please fill in the form. If you don't want to be considered, don't bother.
1: <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. And I Love got, and hugs, Sandy.
2: these things, these things. Came back gold plated. I mean, they were. They were. And if I had it, if I had a a economic bone in my body at that point, I would have realized, my God, this is crazy. And of course, you know, the rest. You know, LinkedIn is is what it is. What it is. Um, But um, you know, we were we were able to you know more reliably get you know top people into the top jobs. And then, you know, I was really fortunate, Molly, that I was selected to be the chief human resources officer at Unilever and moved to Europe. And, um, and you know, that was at a point, a different point in time. Motorola, when I was there, was actually doing quite well. Unilever, when I arrived, was struggling. And so this was the first time, you know, that I realized that this supply and demand, these roles and talent, you could really move an organization if you could get the roles and talent right, and so in Unilever we had to, we found ourselves in a place where the, the CEO, you know, came in and talked to myself and the CFO uh, because you know I was the newly appointed chief human resources officer, and he said, "Hey, we, you know, we, we've got to double the share price of this company, or they're going to split it up." Now Unilever is a company, you know, of you know more than fifty billion dollars of, of revenue and three hundred thousand employees, and we needed to double it. The share, the the value of the company, Um, and we needed to do it in, you know, and have a plan uh, to get there. And this was, you know, when when you know we I really started to see the power that if you wanted to move an organization quickly, you needed to really get at 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 its essence. So, you know, those were two really important corporate assignments that, you know, I was privileged to to have had the chance to uh, to have.
1: I love it. I love and I'll just highlight how both these organizations really appreciated that how integral the people part of this is to the business side and reporting, working directly with the CEO. You know, if you really want to, you know, make the most of your biggest asset, it's, um, you know, certainly there's a lot of administrative functioning of the HR function, but um, you're in a place to really affect um, needle moving change. Um okay, so i we, I heard a little bit about this, but you know, so you're you're really at the top of the pile here. you're doing cool work, you're doubling share prices in a huge organization, and then you get a call out of the blue from
2: yeah, well, you know it was it was funny uh, uh, Molly, because my you know my son, who was about ten at the time, wanted to you know he really wanted to play American sports. He wanted to, to and, and particularly he wanted to play baseball. And so we, you know, I retired from Unilever after we had, you know, really tripled the share, share price there. And and that isn't attributed to me. You know, that's attributed to the the whole organization and the work that we had to do. But I was a part of it and really privileged to be a part of it. And you know we were we were going we were moving back to to the states, and you're right. I get a call from from Blackstone, and you know they're looking for an operating partner uh for for talent um and 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 now instead of working on one transformation you know there's an opportunity to work on a hundred at the same time across in, in the the Blackstone portfolio so we had a hundred different companies that we owned. And we did, needed to affect the transformation and, you know, in, in essence, take the, the value of the company, which in a public company is expressed by the share price. But, you know, in this case, we were taking the, the, the absolute v- value of the company, the, you know, the, 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 the amount of profit that it was able to produce and, and, and the relative value of that profit and, and, and try to double it um, in a uh, – or, or, or more – in a reasonable period of time, but you're doing it across a hundred companies at the same time. And um, it was, you know, I I didn't know much about private equity at the time, but wow, was I lucky that um, I was able to go there and learn all about private capital and uh, as opposed to public uh, capital, what uh, public equities. Uh, And, um, you know, that was, that was another, really shaping experience. I mean Motorola shaped me, Unilever shaped me. Of course the Coast Guard shaped me. And Blackstone shaped me. And I think this is something important that people need to think about is, you know, these institutions and, and organizations that we're a part of, they really shape us. They really shape us. And yeah. what a what a great opportunity it was to be a Blackstone.
1: Yeah and um and a way to honor all of that, because I think you've now shaped, and I, gosh, I'm looking at the clock here. I want to make sure we talk about um, CEO Works and then, you know, your your passion project, because I think that what, you know, I hope listeners are taking away. You, you go on these journeys, you're bright-eyed, you're learning, you're serving, and, and, uh, and you start to realize that you can start to solve the problems you want to solve, and that's and kind of what I'm seeing in this latest chapter, you know, you've, you're parlaying all the investment that's been in you and starting to contribute to the world in ways that are most meaningful to you, Sandy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, um, you know, Molly, I, I, you know, I reached the point where, um, you know, I, I felt like I had made a contribution at, at, um, at Blackstone. And I wanted to, you know, have more flexibility in my life because, you know, my kids are getting older. Um, my grand, you know, I now have two grandchildren and, you know, I wanted to have more time, um, to, to be able to, to do, um, you know, certain things, you know, and like, and just like, um, the, you know, while I was at the academy, I had these three spheres that I was working in, you know. Um, now I have three spheres that, that, that I work in. You know, I have my family and, um, and all of the richness and everything that comes um, that I'm, I'm a part of there. And then I have, um, you know, my business and my business is really now an, an outlet and an expression of my creativity. And hopefully I'm able to, to also bring some of this learning, write it down, talk about it, uh, teach it, um, do work on projects and have an impact. Um, because I think there's no, no more important time. That when, you know, when the world is going through as much change as we're going through, that uh, change hits and value shifts, you know, and what more dramatic time have we seen that than in, in these COVID times, that change hits and then value shifts. I mean, you have these huge shutdown of whole businesses, whole society, value starts moving around, you know, and COVID is one of these moments in life where the world just goes into fast forward. Wow, you know, all this stuff. Change hits, value shifts. Then money starts moving again and moving differently. And unfortunately, people are trapped in hierarchies and in roles and things that the value has completely moved away from them. I mean, look at all of these businesses and things that have shut down and are not going to reopen. You know, people talk about, well, this is a V shape, this is a U shape a lot of these are k-shaped some of them are going doing incredibly well and some of them are just gone and so when and and, and is my talent connected to value when value is moving around uh, as it is and so you know we started ceo works before certainly before covid hit but what we're finding is that we're even more relevant um, you know, we know that the world has been changing exponentially, but nothing uh, of the magnitude of, of, of this COVID crisis, and so we're, we're just so we've been completely swamped by you know people wanting us to help in different ways um, as it relates to the to the move these giant shifts in value, and not only. You know the, the the crisis part of it, but also you know the the opportunities um, that exist. You know, in the in the midst of a crisis like this, and how how can people take advantage of it? Not only organizationally, but also personally. Um, and that um, you know, so I have my family life. I have uh, you know the the business work that I'm doing, and then the third sphere for me is um, is my foundation. And you know the foundation uh, shouldn't be a shocker to anyone. Is a baseball, the New York Youth Baseball Foundation. And you know we we I had a friend I I went and he he was talking to me about a a seminar that he'd gone to called you know if you have achieved some modicum of success in your life, you know are you doing anything significant? Um, And so you know the name of the, the title of the workshop was from success to significance. And, um, you know, that kind of left a dent in me, and that what am, what am I doing um, to, you know make make a difference in the world beyond the business things that I'm doing? And so, Maria, my wife, and I started the New York Youth Baseball Foundation about five years ago. and we work with uh, with young people using college college baseball, college softball as a way to... Uh, to improve their lives. And in some cases, it's really changing changing their lives. And, you know, we believe that, you know, these sports, uh, sports are, an, there are lots of important life lessons there, but that when it costs, you know, uh, nearly $20,000 to participate in, it, in an elite travel sports team, that that leaves an entire segment of the population out because they can't afford it and so you know we we set up something to help with that and you know we we now have you know we're running up now probably close to 75 uh young people that have gone through our program and are now playing college baseball or college softball um and um you know in in, in many cases they're the first one in their family to go to college so it's uh it, it's it's
1: really fun. It's so amazing um, the the ability to integrate the whole you, you know. And I go back to this just hearing you talk about business outlet and expression of your own creativity. You know, I just I want for folks to to know their you know genius and to be able to apply it and to create value uh, and meaning. The and then the baseball piece. So, would you share the story? Because this is, um, you know, I know you had mentioned it started out, maybe not the way it's turned out, you know. Because I think there was, you know, your son was in baseball, and then I think you had a really moving moment. I think when someone showed up at your house.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- well, th- thank you, thank you for the question, Molly. I. Um, you know, it's funny how, how, how these things, the, these things happen, the, we, we actually set up the, what, what became the foundation. We, we, we created a, a, a travel baseball team. We created the travel baseball team because we were living in a community where, and, and by any measure, you know, we are living a life of privilege and I'm just thankful every day. Um, for all of the blessings that we we've been afforded and so you know it, in this community we start the travel baseball team and we found ourselves a coach uh, who was an ex um, major league player but from very humble beginnings and uh, you know he grew up in the Bronx and um, you know and baseball had really changed his life and in, in many ways and um, and, and we, you know, so we had the team, we're in this very privileged, uh, community and, um, we, you know, we were short on one of the weekends for players. Um, and so he brought a couple of players in from the Bronx and they, they were really good players and, um, long story short, we ended up, um, those those players ended up playing with us more regularly. And then we had one of these moments where a group of the parents um, came up to our coach and to me and said, Hey, listen, because we were using the fields um, from the town and said, listen, our kids have to start above those other kids who are not from here because we pay the taxes. And we're like, what? These kids have been playing together. I mean, you know, we're, we're, just because they're not from here, the the other kids have to play. I, gee, I mean, uh, so at that point, we decided gee, we need to break out on our own. We started a, 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 this, uh, this this travel program, and you know, we discovered that a few of these kids that were playing with us, they were having trouble getting to the practices, and so on and so forth. And we discovered, you know, that that their parents were, you no, know, were really you know like working three jobs and and everything to try to make the family. And these were wonderful people. I mean, wonderful people, but because they didn't have resources, we weren't going to let them play on the field. I mean, you know, this is crazy. Um, so we started our own team. Our own team became two teams, became three teams, became four teams, you know, became a softball in addition to, to baseball. And, um, and then, you know, Maria said, gee, you know, we, we should really create a, a, a foundation and I give her the full credit uh, for that, we should really create a foundation to help um, these, you know, to help on a more systematic uh, basis. And, you know, Molly, when you, when you start to, to to address some of these questions about success and significance, what is the definition of success and what, what does significance mean? And, you know, I'll be honest, I, 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 there was some arrogance, there was arrogance in me, um, that you know when I reflect on it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't make me proud of myself, that I was thinking that by us putting having the foundation, that we were doing something good for these kids, and that I was doing something for them. And then I had one of these moments where I'm sitting at my house, I'm by myself. Someone comes and knocks on the door. So I go to the door, uh, open the door, and here's one of these young people. Now, this is a guy who came to us, and he's living in a room in someone else's apartment in the Bronx with his dad. And they, I mean, his dad was working three jobs just to, to pay for the, the room in someone else's apartment. And no one in their family had ever gone to college. Um, they had no resources at all, no discretionary resources at all. But he, he played in, on, on our team. You know, he went to our program. And, you know, our foundation, you know, care, took care of all the expenses for the uniforms and the hotel rooms and the tournament fees and the equipment, you know, and all, all that stuff. And glad to do it. And like I say, we thought we were doing something good. That kid comes up and knocks on my door. He's standing there in his college uniform, jersey. And he said, hey, I just wanted you to know. I did it. I made the team. I got the scholarship. And, I mean, at that moment, I realized, you know, this wasn't... I wasn't doing something for him. This, This was you know, I mean, and the impact that it had on me was, I mean, it was, it was life-changing. I mean, it put me in a completely different spot. And then I realized why I was doing it. Yes, I was helping the, the, the others, but it was also important part of my own character, my own development. Um, and so that, that I, I'm completely dedicated. And now, you know, I'm, I'm working, uh, you know, I'm continuing to work. Uh, And part of the reason that I work is so that I can get as much money together as I can to continue to uh, make the foundation stronger and stronger.
1: Ah, bravo. I love it. I've heard that at least two times before and it brings tears to my eyes. I can feel it. I could see you opening the door and seeing this kid. It just is like, for all the stuff that stuff uh, stuff that's tough in life, I I think this is this is what we want more for the world, Sandy. It's amazing. Um, you've been so generous today. My my one closing question for you is: in sharing all of this, um, I'm just wondering what it was like for you just to share all this with us today.
2: Yeah, well, well Molly, I um, you know I feel a little bit like. Um, you know, like I did when that that young man was standing at my door. You know, and that you called me and you said, "Hey, you know, Sandy, would you be willing to come and you know share your thoughts and 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 so on?" You know, I think people would uh, would would you know, they, they would be interested to hear. But actually, Molly, I found that first of all, this went by like really fast. <laughs> um, but secondly. You know, these are things that I haven't had the opportunity to voice other than in little pieces here and there. And, you know, I was thinking about, um, about the different phases. You know, I realized that, they, that all, the phases of my life, they sort of all begin with the letter C. Coast Guard, consulting, corporate, capital, meaning Blackstone, and now Just Cool. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's really, it, it's almost, uh, 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 cathartic to have a chance to, to say it. And how, how cool is it to be able to say it to you? Because I have so much respect for, for you, Molly, for not only what you do with say it skillfully, which I think is genius, but also who you are. Every time I see your name on my calendar, we're going to catch up on something or whatever. I just have this sort of surge of energy and you are really a gift and a giver. And I, I just appreciate it.
1: Back at you, Sandy. I uh, am better for knowing you. Grateful for you, for all you do, for what you've shared. You know how to reach me. I'm always here for you. Thank you for being part of the solution and you take good care. My, he's so amazing. My thought for the week, for all of you, identify your genius. Find ways to solve the problems you're most moved to solve. You'll be a great role model for others and create meaningfulness for yourself. And I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life.
0: Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter.